What an interesting time we live in. Um, I've, um, what I want to do today is I would, uh, I want to share some different bits. Um, I've even got a written joke. How about that? I was dodgy telling you that beforehand because it means you'll be forcing yourself not to laugh. Um, uh, we've got poetry. Yeah, yeah. So we can have a good time. But um, I wanted to share you a th with you, first of all, just a, just a little thought that I had. If you have your Bibles, of which, of course, all of you who've heard me encourage you to have your Bibles will have your Bibles. Look at you waving them. Yes, yes, that's a phone. If you turn to Acts, I'm not going to read it, but I want us to look at the chapter titles. That wasn't the funny bit, Neil. Right. Uh, just right at the start of Acts, this bit, this bit here I want to share with us, I kind of, there's a sense I want to communicate rather than it all being solid. And we get onto solid bits as we go along. Um, so firstly, so we see what happens in Acts. They, um, they're told to wait. So you've Acts chapter one, they're told to wait. See Jesus, uh, they've interacted with Jesus, he's ascended, they're told to wait, they're praying, they're choosing, Matthias, they're doing things, and then the day of Pentecost comes. So they've been waiting, about 120 of them, the day of Pentecost comes, then Peter does this amazing sermon, which is pretty good, because at the end of it, how many is it? 2,000, 3,000, I keep forgetting. 3,000 added to their number, the church grows. And then we come on to chapter 3 which is quite interesting. It says, uh, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was, uh, he was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them expecting to get something from them but Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Right? Don't stop there. Then taking him by the hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong, so he jumped up and started to walk. He entered the temple with them, leaping, uh, walking, leaping, praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognised that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. I think it's interesting. Firstly, I realised um, Peter reaches out and takes hold of him. I've seen different preachers who have been gifted with healing. Some of them drag people up. Sometimes God hadn't yet healed them. That was an interesting moment to watch. Um, but he had a certain, you know, Peter, there was something going on there. He knew something was going to happen. Now, this guy was not, he wasn't there you know, on the off chance. He was there all the time. It means Peter and John would have seen him all the time. But something happened that meant when he called out to them, they were ready with a different answer. Something had happened in the bits before, the waiting, Pentecost, the, the boldness, all those things, that changed the nature of how they saw their surroundings. And not only did they say, get up and walk, but they were ready to give him a hand up as well. It's interesting, isn't it, when we pray, sometimes we pray, God, do something, are you better? Ooh, okay, we'll pray again, or we don't pray again, or we'll just give it one shot. But they were, I get the feeling they would have taken the healing, they'd had it on themselves. Don't know how you do that, but, you know, they were, they were grabbing him. This is the Peter, of course, who had denied Jesus three times. Up until that point, obviously, they, the, the disciples went out uh, during the, 
We read about in the Gospels that went out and they saw people healed and they did that. But this is the first thing I think they do. Something had changed in that intervening time. And I, as I was reading that this week, I thought, God, what if I, something, that changing thing happened in me? So that rather than walking past that situation, that person, I now see your solution. I started to have that sense of faith raise up in me and say, what if something could change? Yeah? You know, uh, um, Jesus talks about uh, doing great, us doing greater things. Yeah? Doing great things that he did. I don't know how you've, sh- I've shuffled that one to the back of my head. Right? But then I read um, later on about people laying the sick so that as Peter's shadow fell over them, they would be healed. I don't now, again, see if I'm wrong, I don't remember Jesus' shadow. No? No? That feels like a greater thing. Shadow walkers. I like that. Anyway, that's not really to do with today, but I thought I'd just share you that to start with. That's for those of you who like to drift off for a while. Now, last week... We had excellent time with Adulos speaking to us, and Myra particularly, great stuff. I like the fact you kept on aiming things at the teenagers, so I'm going to pick up on that. I've got lots of things to aim at teenagers this week. Some of them are rocks. I have some rocks in my bag. So, good to see some of our students are back. Are you guys still teenagers, or have you fallen out of teenageness? That, that air of expectation we see Peter has, that air of hunger... I'll tell you something, I'm sure you can't imagine this happens for me, but last, the week before last, I was just so hungry, I don't know why it was, I wanted to eat everything. Fortunately, Heidi went to bed quite early, so she didn't see the things I did eat. <laughs> There's a packet of Maltesers she'll find, but not got anything in it at some point. But anyway, I was just hungry, I could not deal, okay, you could say it was greed, we could go with that, but I was just hungry. And I was thinking, as I read about this stuff about Peter, and I remembered, for those of us who were around uh, in the mid-90s, 1994, where we saw that particular thing that we called the Toronto Blessing, we saw God moving in particular ways, we, we couldn't help but go to meetings. We went to stuff. I remember taking crews of us, we'd go out into London just because we heard something was happening in the church, we'd go, and I was hungry for it. It changed the way I was. I, you know, it was like getting up in the middle of the night and having a midnight feast. And that air of expectation is kind of where I feel. Right, okay. Um, some of you will be on Twitter, which is interesting or fun. Um, and uh, you remember the context of what's happened this week. Obviously, we had the, the third meaningful vote that wasn't very meaningful in the end, didn't pass, that kind of thing. But before that, they had the indicative votes, which was news to me. I don't remember this happening before. So there were eight options MPs were given to vote on. And they didn't vote for anyone. They, well, they, they, you know, right. Now, bearing that in mind, a tweet came out the next day from a chap called Richard Osman and said this. Um, says, can, somebody, uh, can someone ask Parliament what I should have for breakfast this morning? And the answers are, got, got, I'll have to get my glasses out because they're very small. I don't want to get it wrong. So, should somebody ask Parliament what I should have for breakfast this morning? The answers were, one, you've left it too late, you'll... You'll need to leave without one. <laughs> Next was Continental. Um, how about Cheery Nose? Um, nothing, but you can't skip it either. Uh, this one, not eggs, not bacon, not cereal, not toast, not muesli, not a smoothie, not a croissant. We voted to leave breakfast due to always getting up late. 
did you want breakfast this morning or in three years time? That, that's the British public for you. We are quite funny. Even dad, when overseas, is seen as funny. In other places, there'd be rioting and, you know. It's an interesting context, isn't it? Interesting context. Um, a couple of weeks ago, dad referred to um, that sense of hearing something on the wind. Yeah? Um, I think you said it was the mulberry trees, seeing something on the mulberry trees, right? My Bible says poplar trees. Are they the same? Are mulberries the same as poplars? So, but that sense of something in the air, a crackling, a possibility. We have a parliament and government and a little bit of a mess. Parties are split. We've got knife crime right on our doorstep. We've got extremism from different things. We've got gangs. It says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. In the midst of this, we have a visionless nation. I think a visionlessness in the visionlessness in Western society. There's a lot of casting off restraint. And in the midst of it, please we sung that song, Behold Our God. In the midst of it, we have to lift our heads and our hearts and say, Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. That's how we lock into the reality of where we need to be. I lift my eyes up, says Psalm 121. I lift my eyes towards the mountain. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going, both now and forever. I lift my eyes towards the mountain. Where does my help come from? I am told, I have not checked this out properly, but I'm told that it's very difficult to think negative thoughts while looking up. Don't do it now, do it in your own time. I lift my eyes up to the mountain. In fact, what someone was saying to me is they believe there's all kinds of technology, particularly for, for mental health, within the Psalms. And there's instructions of things we should do. But if I look, I'm looking up. I was listening to a podcast. This chap was talking about pride and arrogance and all, you know, bitterness. And, and God said to him, but I have planted thankfulness in you. And it becomes an antidote. Difficult to have pride when, our, when we start looking to God, who is the maker of all things. Yeah? So behold our God seated on his throne. In Judges 21, 25, just the end of Judges, it says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him, or everyone did whatever they saw right in their own eyes. Everyone does whatever they see right in their own eyes. That feels like, you know, it's almost like the a kind of Nike tag, doesn't it? You do what you want to do. Whatever seems good to you, you do it. It feels like that's the ideal situation, doesn't it? Ideal situation. You know, you, you don't, no, one's, no one's over you. No one's bothering you. There's, there's, um, there's no parents telling you what to do, even when you reach 44. There's no, there's no rules. There's no school teachers. Everyone just does what they see right. It sounds good, doesn't it? If we're honest, because that's what this world wants. But actually, in a biblical context, it's the worst thing ever. It's absolutely terrifying. And that's, 
And that's really important that we understand that the, the momentum of the world, the momentum of worldly thinking is completely opposed to what ours is. We're taught to pray for our leaders. I don't know how you feel about that at the moment. We're taught to... And, and remember, the leaders, when Paul says, pray for your leaders, he was praying for psychopaths. God's put them there. That's a, that's a whole couple of sermons right there. Yeah? But where, where there's no restraint, there's no vision, and people cast off restraint. Each did as he saw fit in his own eyes. Very, very bad. See, part of the thing that is so important is we, we realize how we are supposed to be different. A number of years ago, Quite a few years ago, we had a youth thing that we called Alien Invasion. And that's us. We are the aliens. You could say we don't belong in this world. Well, is it more that the world doesn't belong in us? Yeah? To be in the world, but not of the world. There, there is a certain level we can go along with good people having good thoughts. But there is a divergence in the end. There is, a, there is a time where it doesn't all match up. Because in the end, if you look at these self-help books, it's very, you know, you have your time, your me time, and it's about getting, uh, getting some point of peace, getting some point of things together, getting it all ordered, don't let anyone get in your space, all this kind of stuff. In the end, it does lead back to self. And that's not where we're supposed to be. So we can hear on the wind, here in the trees, we can hear negative things, but we can hear good things as well. Second Samuel 5, verse 24. This is God's instruction. When when you hear the sound of marching on the tops of the... I've got balsam trees here. See? Different trees. Trees, generally. Um, act decisively, for then you'll know the Lord will have gone out ahead of you to strike down the army of the Philistines. I think that sound is not a human sound. I think that's a spiritual sound. And I would say that at the moment, I think I can hear something in the spiritual realms. With all of this stuff going on, I think I hear a spiritual thing. I think it accords with a longing within people for something different. I think, I think there is people are fed up, <laughs> fed up with our news being dominated by the same thing. But more than that, they were fed up beforehand. We have a divided nation because people are fed up and they're looking, their hearts are yearning for something else. I think there is a sound, there is a, there is a sound that I think God is starting to raise up to accord with the longing in the hearts of people. And I think his army is marching before us. We need to be prepared. So often in the Bible, it talks about a remnant. Gideon's army is a kind of remnant. It takes this large army, whittles them down to 300. And it's them who take the battlefield. Sometimes the church is so rotten that the remnant has to be within the church. Yeah? That God selects people whose heart is after him. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, it may be I'm slightly more aware, but I have never been so aware of so many of us tapping into Christian podcasts, reading, reading books, listening to music, uh, Christian music, seeking and yearning after things. Okay, there's great access. That's great. Thanks, God, for that. But it feels like we're a bit hungry. It feels like you too having midnight feasts. Some of you having the same physical feast with me, but we're hungry, aren't we? Yeah? Turn to the person next to you, give them a little nudge, say, are you hungry? If someone, if the answer someone gave you was to do with spiritual stuff, that's fine. If someone actually talked about being physically hungry and started to talk about something, you know, put your hand up, point to them. Yeah, it was you, yes, I could hear you, yes, yes, actually, yes, yes, okay, right, we'll deal with you later. Okay, interesting thing, it would seem that whenever there is some kind of uh, national or international revival or renewal, maybe a better word for it, 
it seems to kick off with personal and individual renewal. Yeah? Again and again. The situation in the 1700s, before the likes of Wesley, before the likes of Wilberforce, because of economic reasons, people were holding off getting married because they couldn't afford to get married. Okay, I remember studying this when I was at university. People would hold off getting married. Oh, that's... Science seems to be wide, but the problem was they weren't holding off having sex. There was lots of promiscuous behavior. I read about one of the revivalists, I heard about that he was so distracted by people um, having sex outside his window, he couldn't write his sermon. And you're thinking, you generally we think is, you get the high points, all the cathedrals made in medieval times got the high points and we've been slowly whittling down. Our faith has slowly been whittling down. But actually it's been a more of a, a spiky profile, been up and down, up and down, up and down. So the, the moral kind of, the, the, the whole um, ideas behind the American Revolution, the French Revolution, all this stuff about um, and the Enlightenment, all of those kind of things, was actually a real low point of church attendance and Christianity. But then you get these strange, they are strange, there's no way of getting around it. Whitfield, Wesley, they were not normal. Okay, firstly, they prayed a heck of a lot, right? And those guys pursued just got stirred up for personal holiness, personal remnantness, and it made things change. It has to start here, because the kingdom of God is expanded as I hand over my personal kingdom to his rule. Yeah? It has to start with us. And I think there's a sound in the trees of that spiritual change in us. We're starting to look. We're starting to seek. We're starting to try and find, what is it, God? What is the, what's the message you've got for us? What have, what have you got for me in this community? What have you got for me in my nation? What's the calling on me? I think we're starting to do I don't think we're complacent, but there are some things we need to change and move on. We can't be afforded, we can't afford to be distracted by our flesh. Now, I'll confess something to you here. I made these notes two days ago. There's only one person who can read my handwriting and she no longer works for me, so it's difficult. So I'm going to pray and ask God to give me the interpretation of what I've written. Right, oh, there it is, a phrase. That's what I was looking for. Phrase, remember this phrase. I shared this before. Deceptive ideas that lead to disordered desires which are normalized in a sinful, sinful society. Deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires which are normalized in a sinful society. Deceptive... Deceptive ideas come from the devil. They play to our disordered desires, our flesh. And they're normalised in a sinful society at the world. So we have those three battle areas of the devil, the flesh and the world. And, and today I want to focus mostly on uh, the flesh in that sense. And because I know my, my brothers who I've breakfast with will particularly enjoy this, we have been asking ourselves, what are our fleshy parts? Turn to the person next to you and say, what is my fleshy? I'm going to ask you to give me a definition of the flesh. Right, okay, so someone give me a definition of flesh. Hands up, how would you define the flesh? Who's, have we got someone doing translation today? I want to look at their faces looking concerned at me. No, oh, that's fine. You're doing translation. No, you're going to give me... I, I'm, going to, I'm going to try and start one of the young people first and we'll see. Look at them. Look at their faces alive. Go on, Zach, what do you reckon? What's flesh? Body, yeah, yeah, that's a good start. Anyone else? The meaty part, yes, yes, good. Flesh. Not an easy concept. Go on, Andy, give us a go. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to let him do that again. Now, nice and loud. Your teacher, your kind of upset teacher voice. I think that's good. <laughs> but I don't know if I can really go off the back of it. Oh, oh, and look, we're on the roll over this side. You lot not doing so well, right? Some of you went to like proper Bible school. Didn't you go to Bible school? You should know. Right, we're coming to Joe Wright next. Right, okay, go on, Angela. Yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> that's good. Is that, that's good. I think we can give really good examples of where my flesh is in play. <sighs> Boy, right, okay. Go on, Joe, come on. Oh, sorry, I'm going over your head. You go, you go first. Go on, you go, tell us. Um, I said, when you feel attraction. <laughs> A reaction. Yes, I think that's good. That's kind of that. Come on, Joe. Led by emotions. Yeah. Anyone else? Oh, Jeremy. Ooh. Oh, we're a bit fancy, aren't we? <laughs> that's like giving the answer by, it's kind of giving the end of the equation without telling you the start of the equation. That's true. It's good, right? Judy, here we go. Yeah, anything that argues or justifies what it's true. So you know what we're getting, actually, is, is, a, is a definition by examples, isn't it? And I think if we were to look at, you know, what is, what is the flesh by, you know, sometimes you think, well, that leaves an interesting taste. Flesh just marched into the room in that thing. And I think that's good. I think there's that sense of that it's, it's, it's our, un, our lack of spiritualness, our lack of Christ-likeness. Oh, now, Lynn too went to Bible school. So it, we should we have a good answer. Here we go. Everything that's about me. Everything that's about me. There you go. Good, good, good. Right, we'll go with that, right? We'll go with that. We've got some working examples there. So, um, one of the problems when we come to talk about this stuff is that we tend to do a pitchfork. Do you know how a pitchfork works? It's a giant, giant fork. You pitch into the hay and you flip it right over you and it goes on the pile. It doesn't touch you, right? So I would like to ask you, put your pitchforks down because... I think this applies to us. So if you said, what me, I'd say, yes, you. Because I know it applies to me, yes? So I expect us to have some things to work through on this, right? I expect we have some flesh we need to deal with. We want to bring eternity on in that sense. How often do you develop a philosophy that justifies your flesh, yourself, or your soulish position, right? Let me give you an example that I have observed in other people. <laughs> right. Let's say you're tired. You're a parent. Well, have you been a parent? Don't know why. You're tired. The kids, there's something going off. The kids are fighting or something going off. But you're tired. The true thing is you're tired and you can't be bothered, right? Teenagers, key, can't be bothered, right? Essence of flesh, can't be bothered, right? Just take that one in, right? Good. I can't be bothered. So, I don't say, oh, I can't be bothered. No, no, no. I say, it's good for them to learn to work these things out for themselves. Here's the dangerous thing, guys. We are so clever about constructing a philosophy that justifies our flesh that we will never get it dealt with. Yeah? Here's another one I heard that's a bit more funny. When I started teaching uh, my head of department, you know you have like the in crowd in school. In cl- well, my, my head of department, he was like a one-man in crowd. He was like, he even wore really bad clothes as the sign of how cool he was. He could get away with bad clothes. He was really cool. And he would tell me amazing stories about when he was first teaching. And he said there was a maths teacher. You know in some classrooms you have walk-in cupboards, yeah? yeah you know that? Walk in, you walk in like a closet, your books are. They're great places. Right. So there was one maths teacher, he said, and, um, and he would often be found in his cupboard during lessons smoking. And they'd say, what are you doing? He says, I don't want to get in the way of the children's learning. Now, I got locked in my walking cupboard, but that was, I think they felt I was in the way of their learning. That was my form, bless them. Right, I don't want to get in the way of the children's learning. Um, what other things? Let's see if we can get something that fits Mikey. Right, let's say this. Let's say... 
Someone leave the meeting says, let's stand. Let's stand. Right? Is that the only way we praise God? No. Is there something right about doing what we're asked to do? Yes. When they say, let's lift our hands, it's quite funny to watch. I, when I'm leaving the meeting, I try not to watch because I find it even more amusing. Let's lift our hands. And you think, well, no, 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 I don't know. I feel God's telling me to put my hands in my pockets. I'm going to worship him like this. Right? See, it's not about lifting the hands, it's about getting in line and connecting, putting to death that rebellious thing in us says, I want to do my own thing. The funniest thing is if we say, right, let's dance. That doesn't happen often, but suddenly those people have their hands in the pockets like this. I'm now standing very still with my hands in the air, but I'm not dancing. I'm hoping at our new uh, community building that we'll have cushions so we can kneel easier. No room for cushions. Thank you. <laughs> For the tape, I've been asked to go and join the Anglicans. Right, the tape, the tape, the MP3. Right, um, here's one uh, that I might have heard from other people's homes. Uh, why are your clothes on the floor, child? Oh, I'll do it later. Yeah, right. I can't be bothered. You know, I get a feeling that's like the big warning light, is I can't be bothered. And it happens with us all the time. It, it, it's so many different things that it happens with. I think it's a good one to look. And here's, here's an interesting thing. Here's a dilemma for, for leaders, I would say. Um, I've lost my thingy. Right. The dilemma for leaders, I was thinking about this the other day, is that I don't want to... Remember we have that phrase? I don't want to. I don't want to be told what to do. Don't, you know, I, I want to do what I want to do. That essentially is a statement of rebellion. But on the other side... We're told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. There's an interesting tension there, isn't it? At one side, there is a thing about we want to do our own thing. And the other thing, it kind of says in the Bible, you do need to work it out your own way. It's an interesting tension and worth looking at. How do we enable, how do we help one to happen and not allow the other one to happen? See, we're all, we're all designed for worship, aren't we? We will worship one thing or the other. Either we will worship ourselves and what we want to do, or we will... We worship God. But we can philosophize in a way to justify our worship of the thing we want to do. Yeah? Maybe it's not so much a dilemma for leaders. Maybe it's a dilemma for us. I remember, and some of you guys have been around for a while, this whole thing about how we hear is really important. There's a worldly position that says, you give me an instruction, meeting leader or... I don't know, parents or whoever's in authority. You give me an instruction, I'll weigh it up. I'll make a decision. If it doesn't fit within my philosophy or my flesh, then I'll, I'll do it my way. I, I'm a peer. I'm, I'm taking a peer level. So the word for disobedience in Greek is para-akuo. Para, para meaning alongside. Akuo means to listen. Not obvious, is it? It's the way you listen. It means that before that person's spoken, you could be already be in rebellion. Before we've heard that instruction from God, if we're trying to listen alongside him, our position is already going to go off. Because the interesting thing, the word for obedience is hupokuo, to listen from below, our positioning. So, you know, before anyone speaks, our positioning is key to whether we're going to obey or disobey. And I think that's part of the challenge for us, whether we're going to critique. I hear sometimes some parents get in discussions with their teenagers about their instruction being critiqued. You know, they're, they're kind of weighing up and deciding whether they should follow these instructions. I don't, know if, I don't know, Neil, if you've ever experienced that. Probably not, no, no. You, the, Lydia always, everything you said, she said, yes, Father. Yes, with a kind of a bat. How soon? Please say, jump, that I might answer, how high? Yeah, it's so beautiful. You should see what I can see there. Not that Lydia's face is going 
purple. <laughs> we are in danger, and the world is already there, of suffering with the tyranny of self, the slavery of freedom, because that's not how we're designed. So what do we do? Well, I said we would have poetry, so Jenny... Come and help me with your poem. I gave a challenge a couple of, uh, a couple of months ago. I said, this, I was talking about white hot faith. That God's move seems to be, uh, to be ushered in by white hot faith. And Jenny was unusual in the fact that she's the only person who responded. Because I said, come and tell me what your ideas of what hot, white hot faith were. And she was the, she's the best person here. <laughs> the rest of you, bad. <laughs> Right. Very, she's very humble. Right. Now, what we want to do is, because uh, we're not practicing, yes, you should, should give her a microphone, otherwise it'll be not great. I'll tell you what, if you read the poems first, and then we will recreate the email conversation we had. Okay, so I um, spent some time over the summer thinking about the phrase white hot faith and what it meant to me. So I wrote two poems. Um, and they're quite similar, so they were, I was playing around with the same concept, but I came up with two outcomes. So this is the first one. White hot faith, active and burning. From my head to my toes, I believe. Like molten lava, liquid gold, purified and made whole. The marks I live, leave behind, miracles and changed lives. The bright, white, dazzling light that eats me up from the inside. It's dangerous, this faith, not sleeping whilst the lion roars. It's wonderful, this faith, unstoppable and not to be ignored. That was the first one. Second one. White hot faith running through me, leaping, tearing and consuming like fire in my bones. A hunger and a yearning, a belief that's unswerving. My feet solid on the promise that you will not fail. White hot faith. Deadly to my enemy, like lightning striking. They quiver and they quake. I'm on fire. I approach them boldly, safe in the knowledge that you cannot fail. White hot faith, I cannot explain you. A gift from on high that makes me tremble. And I will search as one who is longing, desperate to do as you're asking. And I must not fail. You said, uh, Daniel, I said to you on Sunday, the poem's a response to what you said to me at the beginning of the summer. That'd be interesting to see what white hot faith looked like to me, to which you replied you'd meant it more practically. I don't know what I was saying there. Uh, rather than just having a think about it. So, you said, have you got that there? Yep. Go and read us in the next bit. Uh, okay, I said, what I was wondering is, what do you think holiness looks like? I mean, I can list off tasks completed, meetings attended, Bible read, etc., etc., but these things could just be dead works. I think this is why the poem is focused on the pursuit. I think the hunger leads to holiness. I think hunger is the beginning of action. I think the declaration that I want a white hot faith is in a way a step of faith and admittance that I'm hungry for more of God and I want to see more than just good works. Sorry, I'm just reading the rest of it. That's all good, that's all good. Thank you very much. Thank you, I will have the microphone. Right. Interesting there. I think the hunger leads to holiness. I think the hunger is the beginning of action. What's white hot faith is that desire to have white hot faith. Kind of cyclical, isn't it? I was listening to um, someone read something from Proverbs and it was saying, value wisdom, above all else, value wisdom. And it, it didn't seem to tell you what wisdom was. It just kept on telling you to value it. And I think there's this thing. So what is white hot faith? I think it's the desire to have white hot faith. It kind of goes around in itself. So what do we do? I don't want to leave us out there, but I think... Firstly, search me and know me, Lord. Invite his searching of me. 
But here's the other thing, here's, here's the kicker. Invite others to search you, to join you in the pursuit. We need to be watchmen. We need to be hungry, be unsatisfied with worldly or fleshly answers, yeah? I think that there are so many things, there's so much, so much politics with a small p in our lives that when we look back on things, we think, God, did I spend that much time on that? Did I really spend that long trying to choose my new kitchen or whatever it is or fighting with that relative or those kind of things? But if God is about to move through our nation because he has shaken people to the very core, so we've got politics is up the spout, Society is a little bit dodgy. The economy seems to be doing all right at the moment, but I wouldn't bet on it. Um, there's a shaking. If it's to be that the move of God will come and the equivalent of 3,000 people will join us tomorrow, are we ready? Are we ready to share with them? Are we ready to include them in our lives? If we were to think about those 3,000 people being 3,000 refugees, what would we do about our homes? to include those people in our homes, physically to include those people in our homes? What walls would we knock down? What, what things would we replace? How would we you know, move the kids into different rooms? And There's a lot of things we, th- we could think of to do if we were about to receive 3,000 refugees. Yeah? So what does it mean to spiritually do those things? What fleshiness have I been putting up with in myself that just not having had a close experience of drug addiction myself, my understanding is that some of the things, some of the going cold turkey is just one part. It's the other stuff around it that's the issue. That there are, there are other things, it's the circumstances that cause it. That sometimes the act is easier than it might seem to an outsider. Now, I, I don't know that, but see what I'm trying to say? There, there are some things that we can just, by faith, think, okay, this is it, this, we're going to move on from this. Yeah? Because there's a need. If there's 3,000 people knocking at my door. When Richard Cole had 120 people in that, that flat, you know, there were things that, that they had to change. They had to sleep in different ways. They had to do different things. The plumbing was a mess. Now, if you really want to know about that, PJ can tell you a long story about the deal with that. But there are things that have to change. There are fleshy ways that have to change. And it has to start with me, with my personal renewal. Here's the other thing. I've been very concerned as I've spoken with politicians, Christian politicians, for the amount of disunity within Christians, yeah? that it's very easy to break apart. There is not a unity amongst the Christians in, in Parliament. That there's a ver- fault lines in that. Does, I say this, and it might upset people, we'll see, but does Brexit really matter? No. The kingdom of God is what matters. Yeah? Okay. So, and, and all those different things, does it matter if we have, I don't know, 50% taxes? <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people chewing on that one. One's chewing a wasp. <laughs> I know some of you will think, yes, it's good that they have 50% taxes, it's not for me. (laughs) But some of these things, we're about a higher purpose. Now, that's policy. How about the policy of me? I sat down with uh, someone um, who just asked to spend some time with me. He's got a key position in, in Christian publishing. And he said, the problem is I've fallen out with this guy that I'm doing a church plant with. We've been planning it for six years. And I know I should be forgiving. I know all these things, but the point is, I just can't. But you've got 3,000 people knocking at your door. So my prayer is that as we spend time thinking together, talking together, that God starts to say, hey, there's a fleshy part that I want to deal with, because that's getting in the way. And it may be like the man at the... At the temple that we've always walked past, but God says, now pull him up. What is God saying, pull up? And how, those of us who are married, I'm sure we can do this, or let's face it, those who've got kids, they can help us as well. What are the fleshy parts others see that we need to address? 
Let's be accountable to one another because we want to be ready. I don't want to be one of Gideon's army that's left behind. I want to be one of the 300, yeah? Amen, let's pray. Father God, I pray you would search us and know us. I pray that you would know our movements, you would know our thoughts, you would sweep through us, that you wouldn't allow us, Father God, to put false philosophies to justify our fleshy ways of being, that you would undo us, Lord God, and have us ready for you. I pray, Father God, that with us, that you would raise up Wesley's, and you'd raise up Wilberforce's, and you'd raise up Shaftesbury's, Father God. We ask you to do that. We ask you to do that within us. Lay hands on the people next to you. Let's just reach out, hold hands, or lay hands on them. Say, we pray. Let's pray together. We, we pray a Wesley onto this person. We pray a Wilberforce onto this person. We pray a revivalist onto this person. Will you take us and send us, Lord God? Amen.